Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the Perfect Bond Podcast. This is a podcast all about anything and everything comic books and comics related. Brought to you by the Panel Jumper and Comic Dungeon. My name is Ben. With me, as always, is Cole Hornaday. Hey, Ben. Chris Casso. And, of course, Nicole Lamb. Hi. Hello. So, I uh, saw, saw this... Um, this article from thehill.com. Apparently, somebody's uh, IDW is planning on publishing the uh, special counsel Robert Mueller's report. That should be Crazy. fun. <laughs> Maybe it'll be a way to get people to read it. Also, but folks have already been performing it as guerrilla theater. Yes, and, yeah. and people on Broadway have been doing it. John Lithgow and and a bunch of other folks. And I know they did it locally. Yeah, um, Vox had like a thing where they just read it straight through for like a day and a half they just traded off people would just sit in front of a webcam and read it so i guess i don't i I guess i'm trying to figure out what we're going to accomplish by doing this is it to educate people because no one wants is it to make it more accessible because no one wants to read it no one can get their head around it it legal ease there's been a a big trend of of comics doing political stuff like that like there's one about the torture report Mm -hmm. um okay a few others so it's it's a trend with things i mean i'm totally in support of it, it but it's like you know What's I, I just need to know what the what the thrust is uh, because I love the idea that it's taking information that we talk about but we don't have necessarily have access to or know what to do with it once we get it in our heads and I think that's what's really important about this because I am not going to read the Mueller report and sadly I'm going to listen to people on the news no I'm not listening to the news on social <laughs> media um, sort of regurgitate their take on it and that's not really going to help me and it's not going to help anybody. Um, so that's my hot take on the So it's going to be done by a New Yorker cartoonist, Shannon Wheeler and Steve Dewin oh, of yeah. The Oregonian. And editor Robert, or no, editor Justin Isinger says that Shannon and Steve have done an incredible job taking the rotten ingredients cataloged by Robert Mueller and turning them into a delicious satirical feast. Yeah, Wheeler's also known for too much coffee, man. Yeah. Okay. So that'll give... Uh, it, it's definitely going to be something that your eyes won't implode on just because <laughs> he, he does just satire and parody and mm-hmm. these weird squishy looking people. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, there, there we go. Yep. Yeah, that fits. Yeah. It's yep. expected to be about 208 pages, uh, half the length of the 400 page report and is going to be released next April. All right. Oh. So that is a thing. A bit of a wait. Yeah. Well, they have to, you know, they got to read it first and then <laughs> yeah. adapt it and yeah. draw it, ink it, and color it, and mm-hmm. print it. All right. Well, hey, let's do a thing here. Let's actually check in with what those crazy kids are doing over the Stumblebound. Take it away. Well, thank you, Ben. Yes, this is, of course, the Stumblebound segment of the Perfect Bound podcast. We're clinking glasses. Webster, let me introduce everybody here. Cole, say hello. Hi. Uh, Chris Casso. Hello. My name is Ben. And with us You have to clink me. There you go. Clinky clinkies. The with us uh, for the very first time on the podcast is our marketing guru and filmmaker, videographer for the podcast. Production assistant. Production assistant. Yeah. Boom op boom operator. <laughs> Webster Polk. Long time listener, first time caller. Oh, uh, we, left out, we left out kitty babysitter. Yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. kitty baby. You know what they say? If you can't be really good at one thing, be be kind of okay at a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think the phrase is, <laughs> yeah, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> I, yeah, it's been around since like the Elizabethan period, I think. But all right, so that's you, just, my friend. That's you. This Sounds is a, this is like uh, 
episode 230-something of the Perfect Bound Podcast. If this is your first time listening to it, or even if you've been listening for a while, this is a segment uh, we rarely do called Stumblebound, which is where um, all of us, except for poor Nicole, gather around. Actually, I should say, except for lucky Nicole, gather around <laughs> and, and consume alcohol while we talk about comic books, which is something we don't normally do when we record the show. So, uh, first off, we are enjoying some old fashions uh, provided by Webster. Thank you, Webster. Yep, you're Starting welcome. strong. Should we put the, yeah. the uh, recipe in the notes? Yeah, I can do that. I can shoot it out real quick. It's pretty easy. Just make some simple syrup, your choice of whiskey. Um, I used a Spiced Cherry Bitters from Woodford Reserve. My favorite bourbon. And uh, Townsend Teas does a uh, tea-infused liqueur, uh, so smoked tea liqueur, uh, just a little dash of that, and... um, Chilled, mixed over ice and cool into your cup. Are I you just uh, sat here and watched him pretended he was like an alchemist or something? It's <laughs> kind of fun. He puts the alk pack in alchemist. <laughs> Are you? Uh, That's going to my business card. There going you go. Yeah. So I came up with something today which I didn't think was that clever, but everybody I told it to one person, and he texted it to his girlfriend. Thought it was brilliant. So there's a new movie about cats coming out, mm-hmm. um, and um, and what I said was or. Uh, yeah, the end of civilization is here, and instead of uh, instead of going out with a bang, we're gonna go out with a whisker. No. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. yeah. See, I didn't think yeah. it was that funny, but it was like, yeah. oh my god, that's hilarious. Um, as as maybe that they god awful film me. looms closer and closer on the horizon, yeah. and we realize what Hollywood hath wrought. You might want to put a patent on that. <laughs> <laughs> Not with a bang, but with, with a, whisker. a whisker. I actually like it. I, I just feel behooved, you know, like most when dealing with most punsters, yeah. to sort of like downplay the brilliance. Because you are actually a really good pun person. You come up with some of the best puns, and I have... Why, I have, thank you. Yeah, you do. Well, I mean... You don't the, get points taken off. That's yeah. My no. system is, you know, minus 50 from Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're zero. Or, so. or, <laughs> or zero. you get to live or you get to die kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why, but my favorite way to respond to puns is always just like this blank stare, pause. There you go. And they be like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> and we all do that to people who do, who actually are adept at puns. It's like we're trained to not acknowledge the the creativity that goes into that. And I think it's an any intellectual thing that we all have in this I, culture. Well, I, I I see where you're going. I'm more angry with people who make clever puns because I didn't think of it first. That's uh-huh. where that's where my boo well, that's comes kind of part from. of the cycle. But <laughs> I mean, uh, Panel Jumper Live Ben always writes at least one killer stinger pun for me to say. Um, <laughs> And, uh, Which of the next show is coming up yeah, in September. Next, yeah. Ooh, September? We haven't even started plugging it. I've been so busy common. putting the episode together. Yeah. We have been busy putting that episode together. And you will find out more about that in the coming episodes. But let's talk about comics, friends. Um, so uh, a couple of big newsy items came out in the past few weeks. Um, first off, I just want to give an honorable mention to Mad Magazine. Finally threw in the towel. In a post-satire world, they are irrelevant. Is that what the logic was? Well, that's my logic. I have to agree with that. I also think, though, it's an indication of the dumbing of America. Yeah. People aren't smart enough to get the humor. Not enough people are smart enough to get the humor. Um, The magazine has struggled since the 60s because we don't get satire and irony, um, or we haven't since the 70s. But I was looking at Chris... um, It's also the digital age. Right. So remember that Mad started as an EC comic book. 
and it was the only EC comic, and it was a it was a color floppy, just like all the rest of the comics on the stands back uh, during the 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 uh, the late golden, early silver age. And when EC Comics got nailed by the Comics Code, or got, got nailed by the uh, Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, thanks to um, Dr. Frederick Wortham, uh, it was the only book that survived because it was not. Not not necessarily because it wasn't threatening. It's because they changed it to the magazine format. Mm. And then, do you remember, Chris? It was published through. Did it have its? Was it was it its own publishing house for? I until tell War, you. until uh, Warner bought it. I'm not sure. Okay, so Sorry. my question is, since it became a DC property, how well did it sell? Mm, I have subscriptions, okay. and that's it. Yeah. Uh, if Nobody I were, picks it up off the stands anymore. Because I don't order it for the stands, because every time I would, no one would buy them, and then they would complain that they don't have them, then I would order them, and then they wouldn't buy them. So, so just that's that's an indication of just yeah. how little interest there is there. It's yeah, a very like, particular niche. I have to take the corporate stance. I can't blame them. <laughs> I was just talking to Chris earlier today. I'm like, I didn't even know they, they were still publishing. I'm surprised oh, yeah. that they stopped publishing. Did they? I haven't bought a Mad since I was in high school. Yeah, me neither. Did they try an attempt to do anything with the they digital did a, format or anything like that? Not that I saw at least nothing marketed. They did try a relaunch recently. They went back to number one. It's like, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the laziest attempt at a new market well, that's because Warner, dc though. owns them that's right, right. Yeah. um it's worth noting that a couple issues ago they did a story in there that was nominated for like two or three awards and uh because basically it was a parody of the gashley crumb tinies but it was about school shootings and it was brilliantly done um but is i think that's more of a testament to that creator than the publication yeah it just well, happened to be housed there well i read uh, before this, I read because I haven't picked up Mad Magazine since high school either. Yeah. So I did a quick uh, search, and it said that they're still going to try direct to market, but they're going to re-release old stories, and then like uh-huh. the annual, they're going to have some original content. Interesting. So okay. I think there's still kind a of, attempt. They're limping their way. They have the a lot of content. They're probably going to try to make money yeah. without spending money. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. by not paying creators. And they probably have an archive of some like unpublished material too. They're like, yeah. just pull it up. Yeah. We have all this Sergio Aragonis work that we paid him for. Let's no just kidding. do something. I, That's good stuff. You know, I got I my mom sold all my mad magazines when I was in college at a garage sale. And I told her to. I'm not mad. This is I like when I was in college, I'm like, get rid of all my toys <laughs> and my mad magazines and all that all that stuff. I wish I still had them, not because I think they'd be worth anything, but because I would love to just go back and revisit those old magazines. And mom, if you're listening, that was not a guilt trip attempt. <laughs> no. I've guilted her for plenty more things. <laughs> but the truth is, like, you know, they're not hard to find if you want to get them. Yeah, you know, we have. They're we, in the back room. We, we have a couple boxes. Come on down. Yeah, yeah. 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 If you want, um, but I was also thinking about how you know, Mad Magazine, um, National Lampoon. That's my dad's generation. The college cracked, cracked. cracked yeah. um, uh, the 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 college frat boys. Um, uh, uh, you know, that's that's the humor from that era. Um, uh, uh, Duck's Breath, um, Firesign Theater, you know, that kind of humor was very male-centered, mm. centric rather, and I'm wondering if that's not another part of it. It's, it was also very white, privileged male 
um, humor. I oh. never thought of that, but yeah. that's my privilege talking. Yeah, I'll right. also yep. say that yep. the majority of the newer issues for the past two, three years were parodies of Trump. And it's not like we don't see enough of him in the first place. Well, like, you know, what Ben said, it's like in the post-satire world. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, we're living this insane, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, um, ubu uh satire of reality right now. Mm-hmm. All right, so R.I.P. Matt, I'm going to miss you, but I'm going to yeah. miss you from 1984 <laughs> to about 1992. Mm-hmm. That's when I, that's probably yeah. when I read Mad the most. Um, let's talk about the big uh, death in the family that we experienced this, uh, this time around. The Walking Dead decided to just suddenly up and quit. What's the story behind that? Anybody? He decided to up and quit. That's what it is. Every every story of Kirkman I heard was like, oh, yeah, I have stories planned out for three years. I I know how it's going to end. I did actually. Am I the only person at the table that read the last issue? I skimmed it. Okay. It's just I had too much rage to buy it. I Um, understand. So the thing is, there's a letter in the back, which you probably read, and I think he published some of that online. Yes, And it explains that, well, the part that made me a little angry was him basically saying um, that he's... He doesn't like seeing a movie and being in the third act and know it's going to end. Mm-hmm. Like that that distaste for the feeling of I'm almost <clears throat> over. And so like he doesn't like standard storytelling format is the reason he decided to surprise everybody. Um, is the way okay. I read that. But there's there's a there's there's like four or five pages to that letter, so there's a lot more. But uh, I will explain my retail rage after Cole explains. Uh, yeah, I'll talk a little about the story. Yeah. So it's no secret that I gave up on the Walking Dead AMC properties a while ago for my own personal reasons regarding violence and cultural um, insensitivity to violence or desensitivity to violence and things like that. Um, uh, and how the comic book managed to create a distancing effect with the with the lovely black and white illustrations and the uh, the TV series didn't seem to be particularly interested in that. In fact, AMC was all about marketing um, Negan memorabilia uh, to kids, which just actually made me uh, sick to my stomach. What a good role model. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. But then at one point, I think when I was sort of wallowing in this frustration and confusion, I think it was Chris that pointed out, it's like, well, remember this the audience, the target audience they're going for are the kids who grew up watching the Friday the 13th <clears throat> movies, Michael Myers, um, Fry, uh, Freddy Krueger. They actually idolize these uh, pathological, uh, uh, violent uh, characters. So Negan is kind of a role model, I mean, to be a little bit blunt. Wow. Um, I read the story, I mean, but I have stuck with the comic since the beginning. I always enjoyed the comic, and I, I kind of made that promise that I, and I've, I've, I can't say I'm a fan of Kirkman's writing. I enjoyed Invincible, um, I, but I never paid for them. He paces stories well. He manages to construct characters that I, um, not necessarily that I care about, but at least I'm intrigued by. Mm. So I was going to, you know, and when they killed off, um, when they killed off. Uh, 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 Spoilers? Yeah, are we talking no, go, go for it. the TV show? It. Both. Well, they killed off Rick Grimes in both. Yeah, it's been know? enough time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know about the TV yeah. show. Webster made a note. No, I think they killed him. I, I mean, thought he got I, into a helicopter and flew yeah, off somewhere. I stopped reading oh, and watching before that happened, so <laughs> did, I have no idea. Did they pull a Henry Blake on Rick for Walking Dead? Oh, my. Gosh, I wonder. If the sad thing is, like, I just don't care anymore. <laughs> right. And aren't we, like, looking down the barrel at, like, not one, not two, but four Walking Dead TV shows? I thought there was a couple. I See, that's what I don't get walking dead ratings property. are tanking yeah yeah amc keeps producing them. don't understand that but either. i thought that those even when the first ones the first 
sort of offshoot. Like, Fear the Walking Fear Dead. Fear the Walking Dead. Right. I yeah. thought those started out with horrible reviews mm-hmm. while the main show was did. still getting good reviews. Yeah. How are those still limping along? Like, if I their base numbers are strong, it's a yeah. franchise with name recognition. And it's got legs. Quantity over quality. Yeah, they'll take so, them. For the story itself, yes. I actually kind of enjoyed how it ended. It actually had some heart. Because okay. it's and a time jump. Right. Yeah, it takes yeah. a time jump. Yes, okay. from um, we uh, Rick is dead in Rick is murdered in, I think 191 or 92. Maybe it's 192. Um, I think it's 191. The funeral's in 192. You're correct. Think, and yeah. the aftermath is in 192. And then we jump ahead to 20 plus years. It might even be 30 with yeah. um, old man Carl. With Carl. Well, yeah. and he has a family, yeah. and we see what's become of some of the characters, and we see the children that some of the characters begat, and what the world looks like. And um, I think that's what I was missing from all the properties. It's like, where's the heart? Mm-hmm. Where's Is, the heart? Why so should I care? Are you telling me that there's a little bit of optimism at the end of this book? It has a wonderfully optimistic ending. Okay. Not something I would ever credit the TV show for right. maintaining. So, as far as that's concerned, I was like, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm just really done with the whole property. With mm-hmm. you know, I was clearly done with the TV show a while ago, and I was okay with you know, I've been reading for 193 issues, <laughs> and it's not, it's not turning me around inside any more than it ever was. Right. But I, uh, and I read his four plus page uh, discussion, and you know what? He's always just been a bloviating sob, and I really don't need four or six pages of you explaining why you need to end the comic book and how it hurt you too. I'm like, get over it, Kirkman. <laughs> but I did. Then I stopped and considered that um, because you know I want to hear the retail side because um, they solicited issues going mm. forward, and in the back of this comic they have all the fake covers. Mm. Now that. That indicates a tremendous amount of disrespect for not just your Hmm. audience, but the people who sell your books for you. In bird culture, that is considered a dick move. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tell tell us what happened. Retail rage. Hugh Hatred. Um, So the news that this was the final issue broke, I think, on either the Sunday night or the Monday before its release. And uh, so I caught it through, I think you posted it. Maybe it was from you, yeah. Yeah. And so at that point, I was like, oh, no. And so uh, the thing is, we order by set uh, patterns. And my patterns show that I never have to order more than 10 to 15 copies of Walking Dead because it'll take two months to trickle through all uh, shelf copies. I have 60 copies pre-ordered. I don't ever have to order more because it takes two months to trickle through. And the goal is to sell out. So uh, with a last-minute announcement like that, I only had 10 shelf copies. And uh, boy, I could have sold 100 the day of. And um, there's a lot of customers that didn't get to read it. So I am going to interject just a little bit here because I'm also I also watch the collector side of things. Yeah, so and, thirty dollars uh, at the day within a day of it hitting the shelves, it was on eBay for twenty five to forty dollars. Yep, yeah, it's and it was a it, it is a big issue. It's a double size issue, but it's only the cover price is only um, three eighty nine American. Yep. So they pulled a Captain America on this, and by that I mean when uh, Marvel killed Captain America, I could have sold two hundred copies that day of, and they did. There, there's a trick where um, publishers have the option to overship, and they can either overship for free and just give us additional copies or make them returnable. Either way is great. 
And so this is one of those cases where it's just like, you, you knew this was a thing. You could have just given us 50% of my order on top of it. And then if it didn't sell, ask us to return it. Uh, no, no, they, they created, uh, the, the, that need that, that, that secondary market push. And, uh, it's, it just makes me so angry because other than that's a lost opportunity for sales, Mm -hmm. I had to say no to at least 50 customers the next day and tell them, I I don't have it for you. Do you think the distributors did that on purpose? Like not giving anybody the heads up i mean or did they yes. not have a heads up like i don't know if they had a heads up but they would have followed kirkman's wishes which is to not give anyone's a heads up um and so i mean and it's the creators well, when it comes to image it's the creator's final choice so image even if image wanted to do that they would have had to run it by kirkman is my understanding so lost sale opportunities and a lot of sad angry fans not necessarily angry, but just a lot of people are like, oh, okay, and a lot of them being, and a lot of them telling me like, this is that's a brilliant thing. I'm like, you, <laughs> you can't get the book you want. Why is this brilliant? If you want a first printing, you're gonna have to go pay thirty, forty dollars right now. And they're like, but it's still brilliant. And I'm like, we're not seeing eye to eye on this one. Um, so I wouldn't call it. Brilliant. I mean, it's yeah. brilliant, brilliant for all the people who get the money. <laughs> I guess like the publishers and distributors. Yeah. It's There's, brilliant for we them. We live in a culture where that type of, of yeah. uh, jackassery is rewarded. Yeah. There's a second printing. Um, I will be getting that. So people who just want to read that mm-hmm. will get it. There's some people who get the trade. So it doesn't quite matter. Right. But there's just that that window of people who are like yeah. that would have been nice to get. Yep. Um, so I just feel that that was, uh, like you said, a dick move. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he cares because he signed yeah. a multi-million dollar contract with Amazon. So in the long run, oh well. Well, and I think it's an indication of just how little he respects his audience because let's, all this folder all about, well, it broke my heart to end the story now and I don't want to you know, start a movie in the third act. I'm like, well, you've had many, many years to consider how you wanted to do this. But it was more exciting to you to pull the rug out from underneath both your retailers and your audience. He likes there's a pattern because did you ever hear about the book Die, Die, Die? No. So it's a new Kirkman book that he released uh, nine months ago, ten months ago. And uh, he did it stealth. We didn't know it existed. Mm. Retailers had no idea. And on the invoice, it was just listed as retailer thank you and so he shipped free copies which is fantastic uh but only like 20 or 25 to like us you know so it was based on some algorithm and uh there was just a a brand new robert kirkman comic Mm. on the shelves that no one knew anything about until Mm. the day of so he likes these surprises he likes to be the first in doing something unique in the industry. And it's like, okay, you did it right that first time, other than the horrible uh, programming coding that I had to deal with afterwards. But you did it right for the customers on that one. Okay. So he wanted to do it again, but it says like he didn't plan it through the right way, or if he did, he planned it the bad way. Mm-hmm. So, Well, is it going to impact you to not have that, uh, magazine on the stands or in your subscriber box anymore? Or does it really matter? Uh, overall, that's a book that I had 50 plus subscribers sure. to and it's gone. Yeah. And actually, we're now in an era with no saga, no uh, East of West is about to end. Deadly Class, I think, is going to end soon. Yeah, the um, the TV show, yep. Bitch Planet is like in permanent hibernation hiatus. All the books that matter 
uh, are disappearing from Image. And they are launching new books, but a lot of them are just five-issue, eight-issue specials. And then some of them just aren't picking up the slack, you know? So with this one gone, it's like there goes a pillar of regular sales. Yeah. You know? In the independent market. In the independent market. Do you think that's a reflection of uh, sort of what's going on with Image? Like, are they just not, like pulling weight like they used to yeah what's up image it's tough to tell because since image is just a publishing house for individual creators it's hard to have that like um i don't know what the word is singular focus you know it's it's all creator owned so it's like they can't a vision yeah they 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 can't force the creators to do anything so it's like oh well Yep, there's true. no issues of this because this person doesn't want to make them yeah, right there's now. There's an editor image who's sweating right now. He's like, we're not selling anything. <laughs> yep. Well, and I, you know, he has created such a tremendous speculator market around his work. I mean, look what happened with Thief of Thieves. Yeah. Um, they had they announced that AMC was going to buy that or has, had optioned that as a TV series. And the first two issues were $150 on eBay overnight. Yeah. And I... And then, you know, I, I remember Chris having them on the wall in the store going, you getting anything for that? He's like, no. I'm like, no, I couldn't get anything for mine either. Yeah. <laughs> I just got another one in collection, and it's yeah. like 60 bucks. I'm like, that's the most valuable thing that has no value. Yep, it doesn't. Do, um, you, th- uh, do you think that because of the whole, s- like, streaming war, like, everybody's, like, buying up properties? Like, yeah. Is, yeah. is that affecting yeah. Yeah, that's image and, like, creators turning out property? Do you think that they're either not turning out comics because they're getting tapped to just write direct scripts or Mm. like there's just not that like best two examples of that is uh robert uh sakasa the guy who does afterlife with archery one of the most popular books that they can publish they can't publish because he's busy doing the tv shows sabrina and then uh Hmm. the other case is brian k vaughn is now tapped to write the gundam movie um so he's hitting uh, major (laughs) markets and stuff so it's like, okay, that's going to reduce his output overall. Yeah. You know, that's why Saga's on a hiatus. Right, right. Um, they, they, they also want to make sure they're putting forth their best effort because they're at the midway point. Sure. So sure. But well, yeah. that occurred to me. It's like, you know, hey, Bob, why don't you just take a hiatus? Uh, you know, why don't you put the book on hiatus for a while? <laughs> yeah. But no. All right. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Clinky, I clinky. We, I think we've beaten that. Uh, we have that beaten that. Well, it, well uh, I'm just going to say, you know, um, so long and, and good and riddance to Mad Magazine and The Walking yeah, Dead. Yeah. We hardly knew you. All right. You'll come back as zombies later, you know. Indeed. Well, we it, will, it will rise well, again. We all. And now I'm going to throw it back to Ben, which happened in the past. But now it's your future. Take it away, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and that was fun. Wow. Let's move Gosh, on to Book Report, everybody. Yeah, no, I've you can't. I've been stumbling and I've been really bound up. <laughs> Why don't you start us off with Book Report, Carl? Oh! Yeah. You asked for it. Gosh darn it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I, I didn't. Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, All right, Chris, you no, go. No, 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 no. Okay, so um, I read uh, uh, I, I read Walt Simons' Ragnarok, Volume 1, Last God Standing. Um, Walt Simonson is, of all the artists um, out there in the world making comic book art and telling stories, he is probably the best um, uh, one to assume the throne of Jack Kirby's 
mantle because Simonson just has that vibe. He has this wonderful sense for, of vistas and bombast and big characters, and it's only fitting that he decided to um, apply those talents to, and probably a lot of his ideas back dating back to the 80s when he took over Thor. And by the by, his Thor stories are the ones I only ever really cared about. I was never a huge Thor fan until Jason Aaron did... Um, the, the female Thor stories, which I thought were extraordinary. But, but aside from that, I didn't care. And there are things that Walt Simonson did with Thor back in the day that still impact how we tell Thor stories now. Horse face there's, God. There's horse face. Well, there's some. Um, no. Um, what's it, what is it? Uh, uh, Beta Ray Bill is, um, oh, Bojack Norseman. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can't take credit for that. There's a woman. Yeah, she tweeted it. And I'm like, that is Brilliant, yep. but yeah, he gave us uh, Bojack Norseman, um, Thorfrog, Throg, Throg, which uh, Throg still uh, comes back. The Executioner story, where that's right. He, he uh, holds the line in hell, and that's they right. adapted into the movie slightly. Yep. yep. So, yeah. so there are things that Simonson gave us through the Marvel Thor stories that you know impacted the films and how we tell the stories now. Well, now he's doing his own take on the Nor on Norse mythology, and it uh, it's essentially you know what um, the nine realms or at least um, uh, Asgard and the and um, the uh, Aesir uh, look like after Ragnarok, after the battle to end all battles, after the death of gods and the fall of Asgard. Um, and uh, it starts out with a dark elf going to a mysterious, uh, hiring mercenaries to go to this um, hidden castle where a god has been bound and is still uh, exists in a living death. And we find out, sorry, spoilers, it is Thor. <laughs> and it is, but it is, uh, it's not our Marvel Thor, and it's not kind of the goofy, thuggy Thor that we had in Neil Gaiman's North, Norse mythology books. This is a really, I mean, well, let's look at it this way. This skull face guy, that's Brother Thor. He's had a really tough time since the, the whole Ragnarok business. Um, looks I, like the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, he does. He looks like, he looks like Eddie to me from yeah. the Maiden. Um, and this is a Thor that's burdened by failure and has been living in a living death until um, uh, he was released. And now he's trying to recover his... At what was lost, recover his memory, recover his family, and is he's in for a really sad and tragic awakening. Um, and I've never seen a tragic Thor who is so badly broken and powerful, but just really hopeless and um, and and trying to re rediscover his dignity and his power. I sat back and ate this like candy. I was flashing on reading the old. Uh, Thor stories from the past and, and really, really marveling that we can still tell stories about these gods in modern day and put them in a modern context and they're still interesting because I tell you what, I read the first issue of this when it came out from IDW a long, long time ago and I was like, this is lovely. <laughs> and I really didn't have an interest in following it. And then for some weird reason, I was like, you know, I really like Simonson. I miss looking at his artwork. I think I'm going to get the trade. And it was the perfect tonic for what ailed me that day. I just, they, uh, IDW recently published, I haven't even, I just bought this today. Mm -hmm. um, from me. Uh, yeah, from this man right here. Here's volume two. Uh, unfortunately, it's only hardbound at present. And I think there's a miniseries forthcoming called uh, The Breaking of Helheim. Um, mm -hmm. Which is a, which is a, um, I don't know how many parts it is. Do you know? No. Okay. Do I know more than you <laughs> yeah, do right now? Maybe. <laughs> Probably. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm so, sure um, totally digging uh, Ragnarok from Walt Simonson. I do recommend it if it's your kind of thing. 
it may not be your kind of thing. That's okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you, Cole. Uh, Nicole, what do you got for us? So I read uh, Ghost Tree, number one, by also published by IDW. Um, I've been on an IDW spur, I guess. This is written by Bobby Kur- Kurnow and art by Simon Gain. And uh, the whole reason why I'm reading this is because of Simon Gain. He did They're Not Like Us with uh, Eric Stevenson. Um, I don't know that that ever finished, but I really liked that, and I loved the art on that. Um, the colors are by uh, Ian, uh, Ian. <laughs> Ian Herring <laughs> with, with Becca Kinsey. Um, and there's a consultant on here, Takumi Akata, um, probably because this is dealing with um, maybe some Asian uh, culture material. Uh, it follows this this young kid with his grandfather, and they live on the edge of this forest, and um, the grandfather takes him into the forest and says, after I die, uh, meet me at this tree in 10 years. And the kid, he's like six or seven, and he's like, yeah, I promise. And, you know, meanwhile, he's grown up, he has a wife, his marriage is on the rocks, and he travels back home, and he finds himself wandering over to this tree to find um, that his grandfather is actually there. And he'd completely forgotten about it. And um, there's a lot of discoveries about it. There's a lot of um, thematic things of, you know, people who as ghosts can't move on or people who are bound to either like their culture, their family, their tradition, the land, something about like, you know, being grounded in something and um, or maybe even also having unfinished business maybe being a drift in the world, all those kind of things seem to be present for um, this character. And also it looks like a lot of his ancestors and stuff too, because there's a little bit more behind the ghost tree. There's, um, there is uh, a creature skulking around. We don't know what that creature is. There's um, cute little guys with just big, one big eye who live in the forest apparently. Uh, I don't know if that's part of maybe some of the the lore that is being consulting because I don't, I, it, none of this felt familiar to me from what I know. Um, but the concept seems to be pretty interesting. I, again, I love Gaines' art a lot. The colors are very muted, very like light blues and um, uh, what's the green color? Like an olive green color. So the palette's definitely different than um, who is the person who's part of our Voltron, who is the colorist, who's from Scotland. She writes Redlands. Uh, crap, sorry. Jordi Belair. Jordi no. Belair. Yes. I'm pretty sure Jordi Belair colored They're Not Like Us, and I really like her coloring style. So this was a different color palette that didn't quite jive as well, but I think worked so very well tonally in the comic book. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to read more of Ghost Tree, maybe even like in a collection. I kind of do the Chris method now where I'm like, you're good. Maybe I'll read you in a trade someday. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I know you're good. That's fine. Um, so no promises on that. Um, but I am definitely intrigued. Cool. Yep. Ghost tree. Thank you, Nicole. And finally, Chris Casso, what do you got for us? Okay, do I talk about the thing I hate or do I talk about the horrible hate. existential terror? Hate. Free or hate. <laughs> you already talked about what? existential you already terror. Heard existential I got terror. more I got, existential oh, terror. Man. I got teen angst and existential terror. Ooh, save that for later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Event Leviathan, um, sorry, that's our computer beeping over there, um, is the new mini or the new event miniseries that DC's doing that Bendis gets to do. And it's been a not even been a year, and he gets to do an event. Sorry about that. It's all right. Um, and um, but the uh, I just did not like it. 
So there was a one shot that I reviewed two weeks ago, and that was kind of like the kickstart to Event Leviathan. And it already had it had some interesting ideas, and Bendis, you know, does interesting ideas. But it had a lot of the things about him that I don't like: his scripting, his dialogue ticks, stuff like that. And this one went like full Bendis for me, and um, <laughs> never go full Bendis. Never go full no. Bendis. So Maliev is the artist that he did uh, that uh, his Daredevil run with, mm-hmm. and the thing is about the way this read. Um, it's basically Batman and Lois Lane and they meet up at a disaster site and they keep on talking about a disaster and I'm like, are you doing a thing where you refer to a thing that didn't happen? And then like later on you read the thing that happened and you're like, oh, okay, you just didn't set that up well for me. And the Trevor, um, Steve Trevor, uh, the, oh, yeah. the Wonder Woman's boyfriend, he, he's there and he was there and so he tells him about what went on and there was a big explosion at this like uh, um, the DEO or I mm-hmm. said Argus Argus um, gets blown up and it's because this terrorist cell Leviathan is killing and destroying all of the government uh, secret agencies in the DC universe as well as the supervillain agencies so like Cobra and all the other bad ones um, Cobra with a K because somebody was lazy that day. Um, and uh, it's just the dialogue is stilted, and I the bat, his version of Batman's voice is terrible, so I'm so glad he got Superman and not Batman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, there's just... It just made me angry as I read it. And I think that's just me. I'm just, I've read too much of him. I talked to a bunch of other customers who have never read Bendis before because they're more DC people and they're still, in, they're enjoying his Superman stuff. So like, yay. Um, <laughs> he destroyed my Superman stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a problem. I still, I still have a big, like he didn't do it in this issue because there's like Leviathan shows up for one page, but like in the preview thing, uh, there's a whole bit where like Leviathan who looks intimidating does that thing where he talks like, Oh gosh, gee, did he do that thing? Like he just sounds like a normal person. And you're like, <laughs> that's not threatening. And half your villains sound that way. It's just guy on street. Um, so yeah, I maybe I'll look at the next couple issues. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't care. All right. <laughs> Event Leviathan as he throws the magazine down. That was so worth it. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Chris. Well, that is Book Report, and that is our show. Coming up is quiz time. But before we go, I want to tell you that the Perfect Bound podcast is brought to you by the Panel Jumpers, everything Cole Hornaday and I do at thepaneljumper.com, as well as Comics Dungeon here at 319 Northeast 45th Street, beautiful downtown Wallingford, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at comicsengine.com. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or however you get your shows at perfectboundpodcast.com. Send us an email, perfectboundpodcast at gmail.com and our friends get your quiz hats on. It's quiz time. This week, the questions come to us from me. I've been watching a lot of Jeopardy lately. And, I don't uh, understand this. It's on Netflix and I've, I've, I've gone through... Yeah, I get that part. But I don't understand why. Why I'm watching Jeopardy? Why? Yeah. Why not? Anyway, well, the thing about Jeopardy, what I like, is the way that they mess with uh, words in the categories. <clears throat> and so I thought, well, I want to do some of that. So this this question or this quiz time is kind of influenced by the way the Jeopardy writers get the questions out of the answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not really. I, that was too much of a buildup. This is just called. Here are five <laughs> random questions about things. And of course, I had to be persnickety with you. <laughs> So here are five random questions about things. Um, the answers, however, are also the names of comic book publishing houses or imprints. Number one, 
1958 film starring Jimmy Stewart as a retired San Francisco police detective with acrophobia earned Alfred Hitchcock the nomination for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Motion Pictures from the Directors Guild of America. Vertigo! Vertigo is correct. Number two, this term denotes a previously less known person or thing that emerges to prominence in a situation, especially in a competition involving multiple rivals or a contestant that on paper should be unlikely to succeed, but yet still might. It was a lot of words. That was a lot of words. Valiant? Nope. Oh. I'll give you the answer. It's Dark Horse. Oh, of course it all is. All right. Okay. Remember, all these answers are also uh, publishers. This <laughs> is one of a series of numbered markers placed along a road or boundary to provide reference points. Milestone. Milestone is correct. Did say first, second? <laughs> <laughs> Number four. This word means to be brave or determined, especially when conditions are difficult or dangerous. Dark horse. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, number five. Valiant. Yes, Valiant is correct. <laughs> and finally, number five. This 2009 film with uh, from James Cameron has, as of February 2015, grossed more than $2.7 billion worldwide. Avatar. Avatar is correct. That is quiz time. And that is our show. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. 